Hello and welcome to the Academy Podcast. My name is Aaron Mejias. And my name is Austin Perrin. Alright, you want to get into it? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Today we're going over more of Plato's Republic. This is our third episode, so thanks for tuning in. And um, I'm going to stop with these dumb, useless introductory remarks. Um, in the last episode, Aaron, you, you cut me off and I was asking you a very important, good question about, <laughs> about how Plato <laughs> believes that certain, uh, lies are, or uh, he says like certain people, the guardians, the leaders are allowed to lie if anyone's allowed to lie. And I was like, can you expound on that? And you were like, no, it's a spoiler. And so now we're here. We are at the crossroads of destiny. Uh, Avatar season two, episode 19. You mean, we're just uh, when we turn enough pages 20. in the book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we have arrived at this um, this time for us to discuss the magnificent myth, or what did you say? The the the, yeah, the so, noble lie. Yeah, it's the magnificent myth or the noble lie. Sometimes it's translated that way. Okay. Now is your chance. Okay. Expound. <laughs> Tell us what this madness means. Okay. So we've wrapped up our little tidbit on education, which we will eventually be returning to. I'm I find it inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so basically the, the question becomes, well, how do we know who's going to be the guardians? How do we know? Like, how do we, how do we pick um, who's going to be the best ones to, to, to fill the warrior class, to lead the city? Right. So they're not thinking it's going to naturally file itself. No, out. not at all. And also there's another important question where it, how do you create a foundation for people to believe in the education that they're receiving anyway. That's fair. Right. They're being very practical now. It's not so theoretical. So what what is he that, you know, that we have to have some sort of belief that lays at the, at the groundwork for this, that makes people understand, you know, you know, why they are the way they are. Um, It's not necessarily the best way to put it, but I'm going to go with that. Um, there's a lot more here. Um, and, uh, so that's where they begin the, the, um, the magnificent myth, so to speak. And this is where you get the, the beginning where they talk about convincing. So I should first state that everybody's educated. Okay. In, in the fictional city. So it's like public education for everyone. Kind of. Yeah. So basically you have the rulers that educate everybody. So everybody goes through rigorous physical training. Everybody is, is, is becomes well-educated and that's how you kind of figure out, um, who is made of the sterner stuff that is necessary to be a guardian, you know, or an, mm. or an auxiliary. And so, and so what ends up happening is that from a young age, they say that we have to convince the young to believe that they are born with a metal inside of them, that they, they are part of the earth. How, how Plato explains it is that they're part of the earth and that mother earth has granted them a metal in, within them this because the, they are part of the, the bronze silver gold thing right, right. okay right okay. so then what ends up happening is that they say oh, okay so as you are refined through the process of education it becomes clear and apparent who you are in terms of your element mm. like and remember you have to like that in in the in the socratic conception of what made up humanity was the four elements fire air, like air earth and water this is our second airbender yeah, reference second for Avatar this episode reference. yes <laughs> this is fantastic so then so then the idea is that there are three classes there are those mm. who are made of the bronze and those who are made of the silver and those who are made of the gold now these are not strict class structures for plato they so once again everybody's educated to refine somebody to find out their metal and and you can switch basically like they can say like uh, oh oh well just because you were born to two silver parents doesn't necessarily make you a silver or a gold you know you could end up a bronze or you could you know it and it doesn't matter two bronze parents can produce a gold it doesn't and so he makes that clear that it's it's not an egalitarian society by any means. This is a strict class structure. When you are when you are decided your class and you are either a, you are either a guardian, an auxiliary, or you are a producer, you are there. However, everybody everybody's equal. Okay, in in this society, even though it's a class structure, it's more about fulfilling a role for the good of the of the whole rather than like people who are supposedly it's not like hunger games where like you have the districts yeah, yeah or huxley yeah or like yeah. Or huxley or anything like that it's 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 very much 
that you're just born with a certain metal that fulfills a certain role. Now, there is a rarity to the metals, yes, but that's because for Plato, there's very few should rule, and then even less should be the guardians, yes. and or the yeah. auxiliaries, I should say, and then, and then even more being the producers. Um, but they're all equal. They all pursue the common good. And also it's, it's fluid. You mm -hmm. can, you're, you can move about depending on the quality of your person. So that, that is, so I, I'm really, I mean, go ahead and ask your, you can ask some more questions. I'm going to look for a, a good quote to kind of surmise. Yeah. That. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a nice way to do it. Cause I think the temptation is whenever we hear about a class structure is to think that the rich are going to dominate the poor and it's all about, you know, giving power to the people who are organizing it. But for this, it seems like Plato, Socrates, is is really outlining this to best fit people to where they would best operate. Right. Um, which sounds much, I don't know how else to say it. It's just nicer, <laughs> you know. Um, this also fits in with like, with Plato's very Spartan view of politics. Like mm -hmm. if you want to take a more practical look of how Plato didn't really care much for democracy whatsoever, and he seems to be more of a fan of oligarchy and how he how he wanted that kind of, of, of a stricter class structure in which there were few that yeah. were put at the head of the table, so to speak. And that and that and, and think of like Spartan, you know, Spartan education where it was like, you know, they would throw babies off the cliff that it, you know, whenever they had a deformity and then from the age of seven they would live in barracks with the men and they would teach them to steal and to lie and to, to be vicious and they would train them to be hardy from, from that young all the way up and they couldn't they couldn't wed until they were like twenty five or something like that. And um, Plato doesn't I mean Plato does take a lot of extremes later on, we'll see, especially when he talks about women in the family. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that you you know, there is, there is that kind of refinement and, and people are going to be put into, you know, where they need to be and made who they are, or who they are, who they are made to be. Um, so everything has a place. Um, so, yeah. So, and you need this myth to kind of lay at the, at the foundation of this so that there's a principle where like later on you're like, well, I am made of this metal. And so therefore I, that is who I am. So d does he believe intuitively that, that this, is not a myth or does he believe that it is the myth that we need to propagate to keep order is the republic a political work or is it a metaphor <laughs> here again yeah here we go here we go again yeah i mean is is the idea of the three metals leading into the idea of the tripartite soul a soul of three parts is is it is it a a statement about the soul but also also a claim to the idea of of the nature of human beings and the nature of politics and how few are qualified to rule or is this a practical myth in which in which this is something that we should lay at the foundation of our society to convince people that those who are good and just lay at the head of of our governance yeah. um and i will say this i'm not going to lay on either either of these three sides just yet i think i think my position on this issue will become more clear as we move on but i will say this is that is that plato doesn't speak with any sort of and i think this is something to remember going forward with the rest of the book actually so those who are listening please listen carefully to what i have to say perk now. up <laughs> plato does not speak with scientific precision this has been a very interesting thing for me to realize as I've been doing a lot of background study before we head into these recordings is that is that realizing Plato is he doesn't he, he's he speaks with a sort of casualness in his dialogues. He's not speaking with scientific precision, with philosophical precision, as we're accustomed to in modern philosophers. He is very much it, it, things are remain undefined, unclear. And you know what? That's okay. A lot of <laughs> scholars are like, I read all these articles and all these all these scholarly articles and all these journals and these publications, and people are like fighting each other, responding to all their other writings and ripping each other up and down. But then I I um I was reading and and this is the recommendation. So and when we get into the next episode, I have a I have a recommended reading list to kind of understand. Oh, cool. So, but one of the ones is um there's a guy named Clasco K L A S K O that I read. He had a book called Demotique Ariti. Anyway, um, I know. So the, um, and so he kind of, he just kind of open, he, he admits that he's like, listen, you know, a lot of these people are, a lot of, a lot of my colleagues are fighting each other uh, over Plato. And the reality is, is that he doesn't speak with any sort of real clarity on this and nor did he intend to. 
he's a human being. He was just talking. Yeah, and and he wasn't, you know, being one of the first philosophers and right. and and there was no printing press. It's not like his work was being held up to such scrutiny like no, our books would be today and so we have to write them with with definitions and and complete accuracy, but he was just living in a different world at the time um, where this casualness was uh i mean what else would it have been so i i yeah yeah no i, I like that thanks for sharing that yeah so here's the here's a good quote um so we must introduce our guardians when they are young to fear and by contrast give them opportunities for pleasure proving them far more rigorously than we prove gold in the furnace if they bear themselves well and are not easily bewitched if they show themselves able to maintain in all circumstances both their own integrity and the principles of balance and harmony they learned in their education, then they may be expected to be the, of the greatest service to the community as well as to themselves. And any guardian who survives these continuous trials in childhood, youth, and manhood unscathed shall be given authority in our state. So these are the gold members. Mm -hmm. So those who are gold are, are older, much older. They're very well in their years. Um, and they had to have survived all those trials as a yeah. guardian. And so he shall be honored during his lifetime, and when he is dead, shall have the tribute of a public funeral and appropriate memorial. Anyone who fails to survive them, we must reject. And that, in brief, without going into details, I concluded, is the way in which I would select and appoint our rulers and guardians. Wow. Metaphor time. <laughs> Ready? Okay, so let me make sure I'm hearing this right with one of my classic stories. Um, I was up in South Carolina visiting my fiance's, uh, we were visiting my fiance's brother. And he runs a, a dog ranch where they train dogs for the uh, police. And I, I got to help him train this one golden retriever puppy. And part of the training was we picked her up. Her name was Riley. She was super cute. And we put her on top of a slide that the slide wasn't there anymore. So it was just this long ladder that led to nothing. Uh, and so we had her step into a blanket it sounds okay. kind of weird. Like it was like a like he was holding one end of the blanket, I was holding the other above our heads. She stepped into it, and we slowly lowered her down, and then we, you know, praised her a lot for the courage, you know, that we sure. were trying to mold in her to say, "Hey, that was a scary kind of weird situation, and we want you to feel confident in that." Um, and and I guess. In, in, in the same way that you would kind of start taming dogs in, in, by exposing them to some scary, weird, different situations. Well, he says, what does he say? He says in the book where he, he says, you want to know, how do you know uh, when a, a horse or a colt is good? You know, mm -hmm. you expose it to fear and if it you know, mm -hmm. jumps and runs away or if it, it maintains its composure. Right, right. So, so he, he, this is a classical kind of conditioning technique that we still use today on, on our animals. And, and he's recommending, you know, why not do it with, with kids, um, but also whoever ha seems to have a more natural ability to... It's a bit more mythical. Courage. Okay. Let me, I'll, you know what? I'll read the myth. Okay, I'm going to, I yeah, found yeah, it and I'm not? just going to, and that will, I think that will sum it up. Yeah. Let her um, So, um, and if you have any more questions beyond that, we can go into it. Um, he says, I will tell the citizens the following tale. Story time. <laughs> you are all of you in this community brothers, but when God fashioned you, he added gold in the composition of those of you who are qualified to be rulers. He put silver in the auxiliaries. Those are the soldier class. And iron and bronze in the farmers and other workers. Now, since you are all of the same stock, though your children will commonly resemble their parents occasionally, so that typically you will be born of the same ilk, huh? but occasionally a silver child will be born of golden parents or a golden child of silver parents and so on. Therefore, the first and most important of God's commandments to the rulers is that in the exercise of their function as guardians, their principal care must be to watch the mixture of metals in the characters of their children. So the primary, the primary function of the state for, for Plato is education. So I just want to emphasize that. And, and that there's a lot to be said about that going forward. Mm -hmm. um, if one of their own children has traces of bronze or iron in its makeup, this is the gold parents, they must harden their hearts assign it its proper value Whoa. and degrade it to the ranks of the industrial and, and agricultural class where it properly belongs. Similarly, if a child of this class is born with gold or silver in its nature, they will promote it appropriately to be a guardian or an auxiliary. 
And this they must do because there is a prophecy that the state will be ruined when it has guardians of silver or bronze. <laughs> well, that, I mean, yeah, we could just talk for the next hour about that because the implications. Yeah. Um, where, where do I even begin? Um, well, I will say this <laughs> is wow. that there, there is an argument that has circulated that Plato is the is the is the root of fascism <laughs> because of that yeah huh yeah is that interesting though is that we all of all of all of thought all of western thought is is just a footnote to plato <laughs> right you have that quote and yeah. then and then i and then i'm smacked upside the head when i'm doing my research for this podcast and it's plato is the root of fascism <laughs> all because how do we want to look at him? How do we want to read this? And it's it's hard to swallow. I remember Dr. Rader. Oh, Dr. Rader. Um, and maybe we'll have her on the show. But Dr. Rader, um, you know, she went, she harped on this a lot. I remember in in our early political thought class, she just went on this on and on and on about this, this noble lie. And she says, no, the Republic is a political work and it advocates for for tyrannical oligarchy and and it is found in the noble lie and you know what i for those who want to argue that i can't like i mean i don't want to spoil too much of the rest of the book i think there's textual evidence that that leans against that but then i mean also here it is yeah i mean and just like you were saying before with the whole education thing you're like doesn't this kind of it kind of smacks of huxley yeah i'm like yeah kind of it does man yeah the first, my first reaction is, I mean, the difference between fascism and, and this, from what I can tell, is, is there, he includes God, or gods, as part but of... But it's a lie. Yeah. But it's a lie. But it, it, it sounds, it, it reminds me of the Stoics, and when you read, like, Epictetus's handbook or something, how he says, um, the gods have providentially assigned you your role, he's like a really good casting director... And he's given you your spot in the play. And it's not your duty to question why you're there. It's just to play the part well. Yeah. It's, well, the Stoics believe in the acceptance of fate. But listen, I love the Stoics. Like, they have a special place in my heart, obviously. Um, but, you know, yeah, like, play your role. Like, and But I would also just take that with a grain of salt. Like, take that in the context of the gods assign you a certain fate. And then you have to. And how you act in the face of your fate determines your virtue. Um and so it, it gets, it gets complicated. Yeah. It gets comp. It's, that's all I'm saying is that it's, it's a complicated topic. And I, I mean, here so, it is. Yeah. Something else this makes me ponder, should I say, mm -hmm. Plato definitely seems to believe that with the right conditions, um, true order and control can be achieved. Right. I, I, I I don't think he said any, there was no disclaimer that I came across that said, no, of course humans are all, you know, flawed. So this is just a hypothetical utopia. It seems like he believes that if these tools are employed. But for who? Right. So, so, and this is another question that we're, I keep saying we're going to get into it. We're gonna get into it. But this <laughs> we're is, into it. <laughs> this, this is another question of, of what, who is this book meant for? Is it meant for, is it meant for the, you know, the, um, the plebeians like you and I? Where we're we're just kind of grasping at straws here, just licking <laughs> the boots of Plato and 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 just hoping. And we're of a bronze and iron class, and so we can only be, you know, it's not as positive for us. Where you know we can't achieve what he's talking about. That we can only hope to aspire that we use our reason to kind of to better order our lives. But we'll never be philosopher kings. There's no way. Or and and so. And so there, there are people who will be philosopher kings, and this is that's who it's meant for. There's a certain, there's only a few people, and then there are, and then there are, you know, or is it? All of us can kind of achieve it if we work hard enough. I mean, to varying degrees, but it's possible that we can do it. And it's like, well, take a step back and look at reality. And this is something. And so this is a lot of like a lot of what I've been reading lately. And once again, I I will I will make that reading list. Is that a lot of the things that the debate is is um the 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 well-ordered soul the well-balanced uh harmonious soul that plato is discussing and trying to achieve who can really achieve that 
is is that is that only the philosopher? Can is it accessible to all? Is it just a, a select group? What does Plato think? And and there's so much debate about that. <laughs> and honestly, it, it's kind of it, like if I take a step back, like a lot of us want to say, well, yeah, everybody can kind of achieve that if they really wanted it. But how many people are listening to our podcast? <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe I say that I'll be funny, like when we're like many many books down the road, and it's you know hundreds of people or something like that, and we look back and we say, "Oh, okay, well, I guess, you know, there is something to it." But also, but to what degree? To what degree are people filling up their bookshelves with these kinds of books and really engaging with what Plato is talking about, denying the flesh, pursuing philosophy, using reason to evaluate all things? to be harmonious, to, to, be, to be the guy who goes out every morning and runs five miles, comes back and then does and, and works on a dissertation. Like we're talking like a very certain kind of individual. Again, not, there's, no, there's no precision and, and, I'm, and this is a question that we're gonna have to slowly unpack about who is it really for? And, and, I, and a lot of thinkers have different, have different views on, on that topic specifically. I don't think until now I really understood how mysterious or how much of a mystery Plato is or was. I, I kind of just assumed that his his thoughts and opinions were, were just made apparent in his writings. And, and so far I was like, yeah, no, definitely. But now I'm like, you have me questioning like, yeah, who is this man? <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm questioning myself. I mean, when we were studying in undergrad, it was just... Yep, there are three parts to the soul and reason rules, and that's about it. That's Plato, <laughs> yeah. and it's and and uh, you know you can you can be a philosopher, and and reason needs to be in control, and you deny the flesh, and and that's it. And I'm like, actually, even that, like, does reason really rule in the soul? That's a debate too. Mm-hmm. It does the soul actually have three parts? That's a debate too. <laughs> it's only in the Republic that he says that the soul has three parts. In the Phaedo and in the Timaeus, he says that the soul is is one is one corporeal part that ex, that that is is uh, exists within the body, and and he's borrowing language from the pre-Socratics, and it's like I'm I'm basically our our education of plato on the surface level is bunk if you are somebody listening to this <laughs> podcast and you're going and watching those youtube shows and you you type in uh, school of life plato or that that <laughs> one hack what's his name hank green or whatever from uh uh um, uh, the thought bubble classroom philosophy, whatever. And he talks about Plato. He's a freaking hack. He says, he says, Oh, Plato says this, that, and the other. No, no, no. This is, this is the show where you're going to get. And I like, you're going to, I, I don't know. I'm like at a loss for words. I'm, I'm calling out other shows right now. And I'm like, listen, it's, it's not, I mean, I, we're like, well, well beyond the mythical line now. And this is great, but um, there's no, I am, I, I mean, I like even personally, like I, I like, this is the fifth time reading the Republic and uh, for me. And the, yeah. The, the biggest takeaway I think we can, we can give our, our viewer, our listener, listener, you know, is that Plato has been studied rigorously and written about. Um, and we're so still killing each other. So over. yeah, and and so to approach uh, his works and and studying him and, and having the pride to think that you can get a full comprehensive understanding of his beliefs and kind of be done. Uh, I think it's just that it's pride. And so what what Aaron and I are really trying to do with every book that we're going to cover is is bring a real sense of humility um, mm-hmm. when we study it and know that we're picking up these these classics. And if it is under that designation of classic, it means that it is ongoing and alive and and mysterious. Is that is that fair to say? I I think that was incredibly well put. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and, and uh, yeah. So. There, I mean, there is a lot to question, and 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 we're all, and we are going to try our best. I'm I'm going to try my my best. I'll just keep asking. <laughs> you questions. keep asking the questions, and I'll mm-hmm. keep trying because I mean, these past two, these next two episodes, I mean, literally probably about mm, I would say maybe to sixteen to twenty hours of research in just these two episodes. My gosh. So, well, 
we better we better keep going so that you can get back to your research for your next week. <laughs> so now I'm at um, that that uh, paragraph denoted four nineteen in my book. I don't know what it what the heck it is in yours, but um, we were getting into so Adamantus imposes the question. He says, "Okay, okay, fair, fair. I I, I understand how you're going to try to convince people to do this." But then he says something weird. He's like, but but these classes, um, I don't see that they're going to be paid more and something about like taking vacation days like Socrates <laughs> mentions. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Most people are going to want to do the work in order to go home at the end of the day and watch Netflix um, or, or go do something fun. And so he was kind of questioning where is happiness, you know, the seeming driving force behind our work ethic where is that going to come in for these different classes? Is it the same? Is it balanced? Um, am I at all articulating this right? Um, help me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I will. And um, so the first thing I'm going to say is that we have to actually rewind a little tiny bit. Fine. And, um, and uh, so what he says is that um, we need to, so he starts talking about how, um, how we're going to provide for the guardian's way of life. And so he says some interesting things where he talks about how, how for the guardians, they are, um, we need to prevent the, the size uh, of the state for growing too, too large um, and to maintain its unity. Um, and, you know, so it's not small, it needs to grow, but it can't grow too great in size. And so we are starting to be introduced to this concept that what Plato really cares about of more than anything else with the city is unity. Unity. So he wants the state, he wants to avoid all inner conflict within the state. He wants the state to be harmonious and he wants the state to be unified. Those are the most important things. You'll start to see that everything else, when they start to search deep for justice within the, the fictional state, that those are the three things that he's going to look for the most and really and really emphasize is, is harmony, a lack of inner conflict, and unity. Hmm. Okay. So and so they need to maintain. And so that's another interesting point where he says that the state can't grow too big or else it, it lacks its unity. It, 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 it cannot be unified if it's too large, which kind of, which kind of uh, um, you'll see that echoed when um, Rousseau writes his social contract where he, you know, the French philosopher, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and he starts talking about how um, really democracy can only work when, um, when it's a small state. Like the, the best states are just, tiny little things. And you, you hear that today where it's like, well, why can't we be like Switzerland or something like that? And people go, well, they're tiny. Like it, it works sense. because they're small. Honestly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, take that for what you will. And I'm not going to go too down that sure, path. Sure. Um, and so, and then they kind of talk a little bit about, um, um, in, in this section where he's like, oh, well, well, what's going to happen when, you know, when uh, we have to fight two different states at the same time. Yeah, and one's bigger. Right, and one's bigger. And then he says, well, one is that the superiority of our military training. And so even though we have a smaller state, they're going to be far more disciplined and more well-trained than, you know, the rabble. And so, and also that another interesting thing is that the guardians are prevented from wearing jewelry or owning private property. That's where the question came is. in. You're right. like, so he's like, well, okay, so how are you going to motivate them to... Or what, what is going to make them happy? I, well, let me just try to... I don't know. You you know what he's saying. What, what was his exact question? It was... Um, um, right. So um, he says... Uh, but look here, Socrates interrupted Adamantus. How would you answer the objection that you aren't making your guardians particularly happy? It's their own fault, of course, because the state is in their control, but they don't seem to get any good out of it. Other rulers possess lands and build themselves fine large houses and yeah. furnish them magnificently, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and they acquire gold and silver. And you were just talking about and everything else, which is commonly thought to make a man happy. But one might almost describe your guardians as a set of hired mercenaries quartered mm -hmm. in the city with nothing to do but perpetual guard duty. And so and that is so much better than my translation. <laughs> Gosh. It's and like so hieroglyphs. I'm and sorry. so um yeah, and because you know the guardians, the guardians, they they cannot own private property, they do not grow their own food, they can they do not accumulate wealth, they are not paid, they yeah, do not so own what's jewelry. the point? What's gonna motivate them? There it is. <laughs> so uh, what did I what did I put in my notes? Um, happiness is found in the service of the whole community and not in the service of any particular class. Yeah. So he starts talking about what I would call a more oh mature sense of happiness. 
Yeah, so he compares it to uh, the painting of a statue, actually, where he says, he says um, that we, we're not going to, uh, to emphasize the happiness of one class. Uh-huh. And that's where he says, like, if you think the most beautiful color is purple, which I'm assuming royalty thing back then, he's like, you're not going to say, oh, well, purple's great and the eyes are great. So let's paint the eyes purple. Like, no, no, no. Everything has a place in order to make something. Yeah, I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to keep running with the quotes. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, if we were painting a statue and we were met with the criticism that we were not using the most beautiful colors for the most beautiful parts, this is what you're talking about, of the body. For we had not colored the eyes, the body's most precious feature, purple, but black, we could, I think, reasonably reply as follows. It is absurd to expect us to represent the beauty of the eye in a way which does not make it look like an eye at all. And the same is true of the other parts of the body. You should look rather to see whether we have made the whole beautiful by giving each part its proper color. So in the present case, don't make us give our guardians the kind of happiness that will make them anything but guardians mm -hmm. and then he comes in with a couple extra examples but I think, right. I think we get it there yeah yeah so they so he's saying okay guardians don't want land want what is going to for the common good a more unified society. well i mean right i mean let's make it let's 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 make it grounded right so for us we would say that like in our own practical everyday lives is that we want to be able to do something that we would say we say the word meaningful we want to have a like yeah we want to have a job that makes a lot of money and you want to own the house and the car and all that kind of stuff and 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 that american dream but you want to do things that that oh like i make a difference and i'm helping people grow and change in their lives and i'm donating to charities and yeah. and i'm and i'm contrib and i'm contributing to something greater than myself and so and so he's he's turning that up to 10 he's dialing it up where he's saying okay well for the guardians like you are, you are going back to techni and areti. Um, mm -hmm. So techni being the the skill, and areti being the perfection of a virtue, um, and areti the ergon. So ergon is being the 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 purpose of that skill, the techni. So the idea is is that you are a guardian. Your your purpose in life, your like is like your craft is is guarding the city is making sure that things are harmonious and you are protecting your citizens. And so so the so it's kind of silly for us to say, well, oh, you're not going to pay them and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? Your happiness is contained within it was is contained within the fulfilling of your very function as a human being. Mm. Like like what are you made for? What is your purpose? Like yeah. what are you striving towards? What is the perfection of that? And so remember that the guardians are the auxiliaries more like more specifically. The guardians are actually going to become the philosopher kings. So the guardians are like the heads of the city. The auxiliaries are our warrior class. And so and however, the guardians, the who become philosopher kings, you have to be a guardian first. So it's kind of complicated. But the the you have to we have to remember that okay, you are, you are, they're also representing the thumos, the thumotic man. So their passion, their spiritedness is driving them towards that good that they have been trained to believe in, which is the fulfillment of the harmonious state, you know, that which is good. If we're taking yeah. this literally, yeah, yeah. if we're taking it literally. So help, help me see how practical this really is because I'm so American right now <laughs> and I want my apartment and my vacation days and blah, blah, blah. And I do want to also do something meaningful, but were there, maybe you can give me an example of cultures or, or, or people groups who really were they, was anyone ever actually able to capture this through most that they would lay aside those initial wants and seize this greater good. When the Navy SEAL jumps on a grenade. Uh-huh. Yeah. When when a soldier is asked to charge a hill. Mm -hmm. And then he and he doesn't he doesn't think to himself, but what about the leave that I put in for 3 weeks later? Mhm. Mm the the single mother that stays up late tutoring her child in math, knowing that she has to get up in 5 hours for a job. These are very specific little things. And somebody can rip me up and down saying that I'm, I'm taking these things out of context or that, or that 
you know, it, it doesn't really apply to the society, but just bear with me for sure. a moment. In all those instances, we see somebody going against the grain, sacrificing that which, you know, that which would give them what we would conventionally call happiness. And, and instead they're realizing that their purpose is made for something far greater than themselves and that, and that they have been educated and trained into that. And then their thumos, like that is their skill. That is their technique. And then the, and then the ergon of that technique, but then also what is so, but, and they have been trained into that to know that and to love it and to have a passion and a spirit and a will towards it. And then they're going to achieve it. And so that way, when, when a man in combat thinks, doesn't give a second thought to jump on that grenade to save somebody else's life. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Like it, it is, it is, it's not about, it's not about like we're, we're, we're having this, this, again, we're having this, this misdefinition of, of happiness. Mm-hmm. Happiness is eudaimonia. Happiness is, is the accomplishment of your virtue, is the, is the accomplishment of virtue in your principles, the areti. And, and once you do that and have a harmonious soul, you, it, you experience eudaimonia. It is a, it is a state of being. It is, it is, it does not care. It is irrespective of whatever your material well being is. I'm kind of jumping all around. I'm a little all over the place right now, but I'm hoping there's so much good stuff to cover. Yeah. I I I mean, there's a ton. (laughs) There's a ton. There's a ton here, but that's, I mean, that's kind of what we're, that's kind of what we're getting at. What it, what was it, that movie that we saw? Um, um, they shall not grow old. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, and so, which is that World War One documentary that was remastered by Peter Jackson, and one of the quotes um, that's in the movie, and it was also in the trailer, I believe, that really got to me, um, because a lot of people have this very negative view of World War One that it was, you know, just very everybody was just angry and just uh, pissed off, and they didn't understand why the war was being fought. But it was interesting because one of the guys being interviewed, they asked him, "Well, how do you feel about it now, looking back?" He's an old man in the sixties and he, and he says there was a job that needed to be done. So that, so we got up and we went on and we did it. And that <laughs> rings so much to me that, that for some reason that just, that resonates. Yeah. And it's like, and, and I, and I'm, and I'm trying to relate it. Right. So, and there it is. It's that, you know, he, I mean, Plato is going on and on about like, we want to prevent them from owning these things, but that's so that they can devote themselves wholly to their craft and their purpose. And I think you, if you want to take that and you can say, well, like Plato is just hostile to like the body in general, because how many times does the body get in the way of a true achieving what we would regard as our true purpose all the time, all <laughs> the time, all the time. Yeah. All these, all these, these, these distractions and these pleasures and, and, and things that get in the way. I mean, even, you know, like even for the most, like for like, you know, business people, you know, they say that they say that you you don't want to be distracted by these things that take you away from the right mentality to have to achieve what you want. Um, and so it, and it all ties back into what we've been talking about. Yeah. From the, from the very beginning, the first, uh, Thrasymachus, right. The, the old guy that, that Socrates first started talking to where he said um, that, um, um, not Thrasymachus, his dad. No, not Thrasymachus. No, no. Thrasymachus was the guy that you don't like. Yes. Yeah. He was the dummy. <laughs> no, but, but, but he's, he's talking to the old guy and, and, and he says, I am glad to be old because so many things now, uh, they, they were like, just bad masters <laughs> and, and bad it's, masters. it's so great to be liberated of of those um I, he doesn't say teenage but that's kind of how i cephalus uh, yeah, cephalus yeah like those teenage like desires mm. that really was a good introduction to the book that was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this guy's smart <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so you see what i'm saying is that eudaimonia is a, eudaimonia is the state of be- being it's the perfection of your virtue the accomplishment of principle and so uh, when you have your thumos that is properly directed towards what is what is the common good, you work towards harmony and unity. The you know the guardians have a special function to fulfill, just the same as the farmer, just the same as the philosopher king or the cobbler, right. or whoever. You have a function to fulfill, and 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 you and you go and you do it, and and that's it. And I mean, exactly how practical is this? Well. Is the Republic a metaphor uh-huh. or is it a practical political work? So why don't we, why don't we start moving on here? We're, oh, and we're, sorry, just really quick. Is that any, any, 
and that if the guardians in that point where like if the guardians if we we cared about the particular happiness of the guardians it would create an imbalance because we would be we would be making the guardians soft and not what they needed to be and that imbalance would lead to disunity because then we would have an an, an, an unequal society mm -hmm. just a quick point no yeah totally so. important now I have this little underline, and, and we don't have to spend much time on it. In fact, we shouldn't because we're starting um, to come towards the end. I think we have another. Let me check. Why not? Uh, oh, Fifteen. Totally, because we're or getting so. to my literally my, one of my favorite parts <laughs> of the book. Um, well, then you you can cut me off and move on if you want. But I did want to just mention I I liked this section where uh, I think it is Socrates who points out. He says there's another. Um, cause of corruption for artisans he says wealth and poverty and oh I yeah was like mm -hmm. so that's smart like yeah the 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 wealthy uh can become distracted and lazy and so they don't put in as much effort into sculpting let's say um i think that is actually what he pottery um but the poor can't spend the time they can perfecting their craft because they're either desperate or they don't have the resources uh the physical ones and so there's this actually like middle class essentially is the is the prime time for artistry like yeah well i mean it's it's a small section where he just says where you know plato literally just says yep you're not allowed to own too much wealth and <laughs> you're also we also can't allow poverty mm -hmm. that's it that's it so I, it's a simple point but i i mean we're we're all aren't we all striving to be super wealthy but he, he pretty quickly makes me think oh well I don't. I don't want either of those things. <laughs> well, but also, but also, maybe this will this will change your tune. But the the idea is is that that is all enforced by the state. Well, yeah, no, I don't. Like, I don't like state enforcement. <laughs> you like you like you would grow in your wealth, and then they would cap you off. Yeah. They would cap you off, and then yeah, no, I'm not a fan of that. But <laughs> but <laughs> a, a, as an artist who who you know I like writing and 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 creating short films and blah 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 yes i'm the movie guy like I, I that resonates with me the idea of the desperation of of poverty and also the laziness and and negligence in in wealth that would keep me from having a motivation to to work hard so uh yeah it's a small little point that he makes and, like and that. that and that you know we don't want people to be crushed by poverty mm -hmm. and, and we don't want people to be arrogant because of their wealth okay well i'm satisfied uh Tell us, Aaron, what your favorite part is. Okay, I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away. Okay, so, um, so he says that, uh, um, you know, that we've given our system a good start, and that we have a sound system of, edu of education that produces citizens of good character and citizens of sound character. The advantage of a good education, which produces in turn children better than themselves. Um, and so, um, they and so. He, they start talking about, but what about the particulars of the state? Like, what are we going to do uh -huh. um, when we have to start talking about, um, you know, what about business transactions? For example, contracts made in the market, contracts for manufacture, um, questions of slander and assault, you know, lodging, juries, uh, exactions, um, you know, um, things like that, basically. Yeah. Like, making sure that all the details. Yeah, all the details of running the society. And Socrates goes, nah. <laughs> that's it's, your favorite that's that's my favorite part it is, it's probably one of my favorite parts of the book just straight up procrastinating or there's something no, more to no, it no exactly that's the whole point is that he's not he's not um he he's saying that legislation is necessary he says legislation is necessary that that they will they will find out these particulars they'll do so but he says that that the education that they built up in the society will naturally lead them to make the right conclusions about what to do and for everything to fall into place. And so he says that he says that they'll, they'll naturally figure it all out. And so, um, and so he has this great quote, which I actually ended up tweeting out. Um, I think a few <laughs> days ago, he says, good men need no orders. I can see why that's your favorite. <laughs> they will find out easily enough what legislation is in general necessary. Um, and he says this. Otherwise, he said, they will spend their whole time making and correcting detailed regulations of the sort you've described, always expecting to achieve perfection. You mean, said I, that they will lead lives like invalids who lack the restraint to give up a vicious way of life. Exactly. 
and a very attractive life they lead, for all their cures and medicines have no effect, except to make their ailments worse and more complicated, yet they live in hope that every new medicine they are recommended will restore them to health. Um, and, and so, and they keep going and he goes on and on about how they get caught up in, in, you know, all in all these consumptive practices and, and that because they're always moving on from the one thing to the next and being mismanaged. And, and so, and then, but they don't want anybody to tell them that they're wrong. He, you know, I, this is what cities are doing, which which mismanagement their affairs, but forbid on pain of death, any alteration in the established constitution, they will honor as a great and profoundly wise man, anyone who leaves them to their mismanagement, but flatters them agreeably and gives them pleasure by running their errands or is clever at anticipating, at anticipating and fulfilling their wishes. So, and he compares it to cutting off the head of a hydra where it like grows another two. And I love this because what he's saying is, is that when, when you are good and you are naturally virtuous and things are, are in their right order and you're pursuing that which is good, you will do what is good. You will know what to do. It will come naturally to you. The, real, the, the reality of truth, truth, big T, plays out in the practical world every single day in every single instance. And so this idea of trying to legislate and like nitpick and get everything down to brass tacks. He says, "What you're you're no better than somebody running around looking for like cures to all your ailments in every little thing." And and so and really what what Plato is I'm thinking he's kind of establishing is almost a he's he's kind of critiquing democracy. Um, but he's also going on and saying that there's an insufficiency to legislation. And he's saying that there is an almost establishing a tradition of common law. Mm. Where like you where I mean, not common law, like in the Anglo-American sense where it's like, oh, well, there's a lot of adjudicated decisions by the courts that eventually create um, a started decisis of, of, you know, of previously set laws. Um, but but what it what. I mean, what is at the root of the common law tradition in the Anglo-American sense is is the moral fabric of a society, is that the judges were meant to to reach deep into the moral beliefs of the people and then use that to judge cases, criminal cases and, 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 and proceedings in the courts. And then those decisions would be handed down generation after generation and they would decide all other court cases based on the decisions of the previous judge, judges. And so it's the same thing here in a sense where it's like you don't need to legislate all the particulars because if you have a strong moral society and that fabric is held together and people are unified, everybody's going to know what to do. Everything will fall into place. I mean, all, everybody, people will say like, oh, well, that's not really practical. Like you're going to need to legislate. He's saying, yeah, you can legislate, but you're going to legislate from a from a framework of, of a particular moral set view of exactly what people should be doing, how they should be behaving, how they should live, and how we should organize ourselves in a society to achieve this thing called eudaimonia, to achieve this thing of, of excellence in our techni. And 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 this and this happiness, this goodness that he's trying to achieve for and justice, like justice, a well ordered soul. That's what it's all about. See what I'm saying? And so it's yeah. it, it's yeah. and reaching into that moral fiber. And I mean, like honestly, this this kind of reminds me not only of the Anglo American tradition and common law, but it reminds me of our like the founding fathers, the constitutional framers, where they're like, we just need you need a moral citizenry. Then we're not, we're just going to create a constitution. We're not big into legislating everything. The people. Well, that that's why the. It, I'm not comparing sorry. Plato to the, to the founding fathers no, because obviously course. they differ politically. And, but and, and you know way more about this than I do. So correct me. But is the, is that why there was such discrepancy about even having a bill of rights? Because that sets a precedent for more legislation. Yeah. So there's an argument. Uh, Hayek is one of the most famous ones who kind of presents a, an a argument against the bill of rights, saying that. When you when you have these uh, uh, clearly defined enumerated rights, then all of a sudden it, it becomes the responsibility of the government to to basically clearly rights. state rights that are that are that are that are stated within the within the constitution itself, rather than being being a clearly understood um, common law common yeah, law okay. yeah. existing amongst the moral the moral cultural fabric See, of the people our, always, our, our always, social institutions yeah. I always thought that was a dumb argument but now in the context of Plato's yeah no that that's a 
Well, mm. and also think about it this way is that his argument is, is also to say that, well, now that when other rights are to be discovered and understood as society develops, does that mean now that we also have we to go through a amendment. constitutional process to yeah. add another amendment? And, and also just the same as the government can expand rights, they can also contract Right. Oh my gosh! You just like changed my entire mind. On everything. <laughs> Holy hey, maybe we'll do Hayek. I don't know. But this, I love this section. Uh, that Jeez. good men, good men don't need orders, and that's not a license. Mm-hmm. That is a responsibility. I love that. <laughs> I love because, and again, what does it mean for Plato when he uses the word good? What it like like what does that mean? Like that's what we're asking. This that's the dialectic. This the, this is this dialogue. We're drilling down. Yeah. What is what does that mean when he says good men don't need orders? Well, you just ignore the don't need orders part. Let's get at the good men part. Let's get at well oh, well let's define justice. Like to be good is to be just. And what is justice? A well ordered soul. In, in embracing your techni, using your thumos, mm-hmm. guided by reason. To move towards that which is the perfection and refinement of your virtue, and that, and when everything is in harmony and unity and moving towards that common goal, that common purpose, both on a societal scale and an individual scale, you achieve justice. Hmm. And it's like, and I mean that's a that's an oversimplification. And I'm trying to throw in all the words and trying to summarize as best as I can. You're a lot better at that than I am, <laughs> but I mean that's well, what we're getting at. Yeah, yeah. So. Of course, th- this this quote is is so applicable, and and I hear all the time, um, you know, a good employee doesn't need his boss to delegate to him a task. He will, he or she will start to do things and help out immediately. Uh, and I think that's kind of echoing, in a more practical, immediate yeah. sense, what what Plato's getting at. Like, yeah, if you're just a good person, you'll do the job. Um, what? Uh, I, uh, one more quote. Yeah, go for it. One more quote. I concluded that a real legislator ought to bother about making laws and institutions of this sort, either in a bad state or a good one in one, because they are no use and nothing (laughs) comes of them in the other, because they are partly obvious and partly the automatic result of earlier training. Hmm. Legislating immoral people, they're going to be immoral and they're going to do wrong. And they're going to do what they want. Legislating good people, moral people that are that are fulfilling their purpose in life, that have their that that have embraced their their function, not function, but yeah. have embraced w- what we are designed for, they don't need and are it. pursuing that. They don't need it. <laughs> it's natural. But we, and this is this is. It's re- uh, it's really relevant political statements made today, and I'm trying to toe that line. It, it is, but but at the same time, we live in a gray, don't we? Where mm. we aren't a good society. We Correct. might have been, I don't know, and and we're not completely evil idiots running around. And so now I'm left with this practical desire to apply this and say, okay, how do we? move towards that because it sounds great you know putting legislation on the back burner you know and and pulling it out only when it's really needed i feel like today we might be over legislating um as a result of a loss of our common values in the west maybe i don't know um and so plato would say that education is the key but we can't hit the restart button because you can't just say like well we just need to educate better because it, it's it calls into question, well, what is the purpose of education? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what this book is getting at, right? And so it's yeah. it, you're you're not hitting a reset button on education; you're hitting a reset bu- button on how do we understand how do we understand the purpose of of our very humanity? <laughs> As if I didn't think there was enough work to do already. <laughs> Here we go. We're, you and I are starting it right now. And so, yeah, <laughs> but maybe maybe this is why we're so attract. We were so attracted for a time to like those post-apocalyptic TV shows and stuff where, where the, the reset button was hit on society and all the basic questions were yeah. called back into order. And, and we, got, I mean, we still are, I still, I mean, I think we still are. are I mean, I, I don't media. watch the walking dead, but you know, yeah. <laughs> but the, you know, that's, so what, what yeah. is there a practical takeaway? What can we, because this is the sound, this rings of truth and this sounds so good. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm looking. I mean, I'm, if you want to exclude the whole mythical lie section from the sure, yes, yes, I do, I do. <laughs> but so, looking at the Goliath of of at least our nation, <sighs> this sounds impossible. Do I do I just start implementing what I can and be the best, um, most virtuous guy I can be in my circle and hope it catches, or? Now it sounds easier to just take this as a as a uh, spiritual metaphor. Uh, metaphor. It's a metaphor for the individual, <laughs> right? That that takes yeah. so much less less pressure off. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just. Well, you get into you get into questions of what is the common good, and do do good citizens make good government, or does good government make good citizens? And the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> And, 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 but that, that's, yeah. that's it. it. So, so Cicero also said something similar. He said that a society is a, is a, that, that not similar, but that went along with this. A society is a group of people with common values, right? And the second that we lose those common values, we are no longer a society anymore. And in the West, I, I, and this, you know, back to Dr. Rader <laughs> rings of her. I, I think that we, we are splintering and splintering and splintering into this group believes this stuff, that group believes this stuff. This group even hates our country. This group loves our country. Like, is, is, there, is there hope <laughs> like, that we can possibly get back to a point of, of unity? Or is this back to the Switzerland thing? Like, we're just too big and democracy doesn't work anymore. Well, I'm not a, I'm not, we're not a, not a political podcast. I know. And, and I'm, I'm, we're not taking stances. I'm just observing the facts that this is what Plato is saying is so helpful and so interesting. And you can't help but look at his work that is a, a political work and philosophical work and turn and look at the world around you and the, and the political sphere you inhabit. Mm-hmm. Am I doing the book an injustice by doing this. Be honest. Because recognize that for those on, and again, I, for those who would say that we need a bit more legislation in this country, I will say this. We do need to legislate. Nobody's arguing here or even in, in Plato's dialogue that that we don't legislate. Only crazy anarchists say that. <laughs> but but legislation is a power that we don't know how to use. We haven't for hundreds of years. We've used it inappropriately. Um and pretty much and most throughout history, you know, we haven't gotten it right. But that doesn't necessarily take away from the necessity of it. And for those who would say that we need a little less legislation in this country, I would say to them this, that there is that if you are going to do that, what are we doing to, to make moral people that where you don't need the legislation to begin with? Mm-hmm. So our concern now is at the top of our institutions where we're talking about elections and we're talking about public policy and we're talking about winning seats and electoral mapping and gerrymandering and the the list goes on and on and on and on. Uh, Screw all that noise. Get down deep. What kind of children are we producing that run for these offices? What kind of children are we producing in, in where they are and they are uh, becoming uh, IT techs or serving in our nation's military or, or being your garbage collector, being a college student. These are the questions we need to be asking. When you look at a child, you have to think to yourself, does this child have a purpose? What is that purpose? How to achieve that purpose? And then I think the question of elections and unity and and political offices becomes a tad bit simpler. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's powerful stuff. Especially, you know, for me as a teacher, that that fires me up. Yeah. Um, and, and and it gets me excited to to 
just consider my normal lesson plans and my normal relationships just with my sure students. Just make sure you tell them that they're made of certain metals. And then, and <laughs> Shut then, up. And they'll never, you're they'll never escape from that. You are bronze. <laughs> I have decided. Well, I mean, it, it, <laughs> no, it, yeah. we're probably well over time now, but. Pretty much, but <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we we can't. Well, we also can't ignore the fact that for that we need to understand that like like one of those questions for for Platonic philosophy as well is the purpose of somebody tied up within their techni, mm-hmm. or is the purpose or is and and is is if techni is your purpose, is techni also tied up with areti, the perfection of a, of principle and virtue, right? So. That's another question that we need to be getting into as well. Um, so, well, I don't think we would be doing this book justice if we didn't walk away with more questions than mm-hmm. when we first came to it. <laughs> so, I think we're on the right track. Um, but we are we are just coming up on our time now. So, uh, thank you for joining us for episode three. Yes. Um, next episode, we will start on the virtues. Right. And, and the soul and the soul and and if you thought this episode was drilling deep <laughs> you guys might want to pull out a, a, another oh pen and paper because we are like all these questions that are being posed and all these people that i was kind of starting to touch on in reference to in this episode oh we're getting into it <laughs> we're talking about the soul <laughs> i'm excited so definitely uh guys subscribe on your favored channel whether that's apple or youtube or beyond um, also take a look at our social media. Uh, sometimes we'll be putting out, um, just little helpful updates about what we're up to this week. Um, and, um, well, oh yes. And if you have any questions, comments, feedback, we really would love to hear it. So be sure to, uh, either leave that in the comments section of your, uh, preferred medium or just email us at the Academy podcast at outlook.com. Aaron, anything else? Yeah. You can uh, follow us on Twitter or Instagram. I'm always kind of posting too. We're putting (laughs) stuff on there. Um, it's at Academy underscore podcast. And, um, once again, um, we are just so thankful that we were able to bring you guys this podcast. We know this episode was drilling down a little bit deeper than usual and the next one will be even more. So kind of deal with it and bring your shovel. And then, and then once we finish that up, we will get into Plato's views on sex. So have a great week. Have a great week. (laughs)